Hello, friends. This is Rabbi Leon Morris, the president of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. The podcast you're about to hear was recorded before the abrupt ending to our holiday season uh, this past Shabbat and Simchat Torah. I know that wherever you are, your hearts are united in prayer and solidarity with Israel at this difficult moment. And so we want to dedicate this podcast and this learning to the healing of those who are injured, to the memory, the aliyah neshama, to those who have died, and with hopes and prayers for the rescue of all those who are being held hostage. Yehi shalom b'chelech shalva ba'armenotayich. We pray in the words of Sefer Tehillim, the book of Psalms, that there should be peace within our walls and serenity within our fortresses. Welcome to the Pardes Parsha podcast. My name is Tzvi Hirschfeld, and I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of discussing the profound analysis and deep insights into the Parsha from my wonderful colleagues at the Pardes Institute. So glad you could join us. Hello, everyone. Wow. Breshit, we are starting the cycle again, and I cannot think of a better guest to have to set the tone for the whole coming year of podcasts. God willing, we are joined today by the director of the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, my friend, my teacher, my colleague, Aviva Lauer. Welcome, Aviva. Hi, Tzvi. It's so great to be back here. Oh, that's right. This is a return. I don't want to use the word performance. That's probably not where it should be. A return opportunity for us to learn together. That is wonderful. So the Chagim are behind us, which in Israel means you can start doing things again, <laughs> right? Because everything yes. is always after the Chagim. Yes. University is starting. There's a sense here that things are starting. Yeah. And even though a Pardes, we've started from beforehand, there's still this sense of we are beginning something new. And of course, we are now at the point in our calendar where we're going to begin the cycle of Torah readings again, beginning with Breshit. So a lot happens in this Parsha. Creation of the world, Cain and Abel, Rikai and Vehevel, and so on and so on. So tell us, share with us, what do you want to focus on with us today? Well, I actually want to jump ahead to the end of the Torah, if possible, before we get back to the beginning of the Torah. Not the exact end, but the book of Deuteronomy, Sefer Devarim, chapter 11. We're talking about Bereshit, right? So I want to look at that word or a paraphrase of that word in a verse later on in the Torah, because this is something that I've really been thinking about for the past couple of weeks since Rosh Hashanah. And I'll tell you what it is. I'll read the Pasuk to you and we'll translate it. And hopefully you'll understand why I'm starting over here at the end of the Torah when we're really at the beginning. I think it's a very rabbinic move that we're going to start being the Torah. Wait, wait, I want to just go reference something back towards the end. I right. like it very much. Oh, thanks. Okay. So it says, God is talking to the Israelites or Moshe is talking to the Israelites in the desert and is saying, listen, I just want you to know that the land that you're going into, the promised land, it's not going to be like the land you came out of. It's not like Egypt. It is not like you can just sort of open a faucet to the Nile the way that they, well, not exactly, but you get the idea, like really easy. You just do a little bit and you get the water that you need to irrigate your land. It's not like that. That's not how water comes to people in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel later on. It's not like that at all. In fact, what it says is, Eretz asher Adonai Elohecha doresh ota. Tamid enei Adonai Elohecha ba. 
מראשית השנה ועד אחרית שנה. So this is a land, the land of Israel, is one that God is paying attention to always. The eyes of God are always on this land, are always watching, paying attention from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. מראשית השנה ועד אחרית שנה. And I'll actually tell you something that I told people at the learner service I was at on Rosh Hashanah, that this is actually the only sort of indication that Rosh Hashanah could be called Rosh Hashanah, right? From Rishit Hashanah, the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So this land is different than Egypt. This is a really important point. And it's a land that God is always paying attention to. And what does that mean? That's what I've been thinking about. Well, it sounds like, at least from the beginning half, it's connected to the way we get water, right? Because in Egypt, they get water very easily, like you said, from the Nile, and this land is different. Exactly. So now we can jump back to our Parsha, to Parshat Breshit, and talk about water. All right. I'm ready. So there's a lot of water in this Parsha, actually. There's a lot of mention of water, but I specifically want to go to the second creation story, so chapter two of the Parsha, where there's the telling not in which the whole world is created at the end of the creation, the culmination of the creation of everything else is the creation of humanity, but rather that there's a different order and we are told like this. This is the story of the creation of the heavens and earth. On the day that God made the land and the heavens. There's no vegetation yet. There is no vegetation. Why? Because God has not yet rained down on the land. And another reason, And there is no human, there's no person to work the land. So there is in the next verse, a description of mist coming up from the land. Such a beautiful picture and kind of primeval, obviously. But, you know, mist coming up, but there's no rain, there's no people. And so there's no vegetation. And what does that mean? And especially if you think even as the story continues, it feels like the gan, this garden that they're going to be in that's watered by this mist or maybe these rivers, it's trees. It's not grains and legumes that grow from the soil and are planted and tilled by human beings where rain is such a factor, but it's trees and trees grow on their own. And as long as they have water nearby, their roots can reach, which these rivers, the mist will provide, they'll just provide fruit and we get to frolic among the trees and pick fruit and eat it. Well, That's until very, we're not supposed to. Well, right, until we make that mistake. But it's a very different picture in the image of an Adam Oveda to Adama, a person who is working the soil. Right. And the Torah, as we know, does not speak in an extraneous way. I mean, there's something important, very important, that the Torah is trying to say by saying that there is no vegetation of the type that you're talking about, no crops yet, because God has not rained down yet, because there is nobody to work the land. And it feels like there's something actually missing in that description. It's very terse, but there's a stage missing there, I think, which Rashi certainly, and I mean, I know that the Nitziv talks about this, and I'm sure there are lots of Mefarshim besides the two of them um, who talk about it. But what they add in is 
the stage that there is no vegetation like you were talking about because God did not rain anything down because there was nobody to pray yet for the rain with which they could then till the soil and help enable the crops to grow with their work. Wow. Meaning that somehow rain, from the very beginning you're saying, and I think it's a very powerful reading, that rain from the very beginning is seen not just like this natural phenomena that you know is part of this natural cycle or weather pattern, but rain is very much part of the relationship between human beings and God. We have to ask for it based on that Rashi, and then God actively provides it. Right. And I think that that really strongly comes through in the verse from Deuteronomy as well. I mean, that's what it's saying, that it's not like in Egypt where it'll just come naturally. You know, the water just flows and it's, you know, easy, easy, easy. No, God is the one who is paying attention. God is the one who's responsible and in charge of the rain. And therefore, implicit in that is if you want God to do what you want God to do, which is to rain down, you have to ask for it, you have to pray for it, and you have to behave in a very specific way, which is, of course, what the whole book of Deuteronomy is about. Right. In the second paragraph of Shema, right? If you listen to God, you get rain. If you don't listen to God, you don't get rain. Rain, if you pardon the pun, is a barometer. Ha-ha. <laughs> thank you of our relationship with God and how we can measure our own behavior. Yes. So that's why, actually, I've been thinking about all this for these past couple of weeks, and certainly um, this past week when we, in our tefillah on Simchat Torah here in Israel and on Shmini Atzeret, outside of Israel, prayed for rain. We have this tefillat Geshem, which, you know, we'll talk about in a second, but I, I just, I kind of want to ask you, having lived in Israel for a long time, as have I, like, what's your relationship to rain? It's funny. I think being here, people talk about rain. They talk about, is it going to be a rainy season? And there was always a concern. Now with desalinization, it's kind of withdrawn a little bit. I still think there's part of the culture to worry about, is it going to rain? We need the rain. Uh, to this day in the modern era, modern Israel still depends on rain. I never felt that in the States. I realize there are parts of the Western United States that have suffered drought and rain's a big deal. But being in the Midwest, it's not nice to say rain was sort of this inconvenience. Oh, no, it's raining. Right, Rain determined what kind of jacket you needed or umbrella, and if it rained on Shabbat, you were annoyed you had to walk to shul in the rain. But you never had this feeling of a sense of blessing, or as you're describing, divine intervention because it rains. And here, I think there's a hint of that. It's not full-blown, but I think it's present here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I lived in England, it was like, oh, you, we are going to just function really well despite the rain. You know, like we're stiff upper lip. Didn't it rain every day there, though, also? No, but okay. yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot of rain. And, and despite that, people really, you know, go about their lives and are active. But yeah, I mean, it was not a thing when I was growing up. One of my favorite, not memories, but like dispositions in life is to be at home in the summer with a rainstorm outside, a thunderstorm, but like being inside and you can't really go out and you, it's the air conditioning is on, but it's raining outside and reading a book and it's so much fun. And here, that's not our life. I mean, there is no rain. Well, there's not supposed to be, so to speak, with the air quotes that you can't see, between Pesach and Sukkot. And when there is rain in between, everybody's like, ooh, it's weird. Something's wrong. You know, the world, climate change, all that kind of thing. And we talk about the need for rain. And we get so excited when the first rain happens. And there's a name for the first rain. 
right? The Yoreh. Yes, that's true. We like the rain. We do. But well, let's talk about Tefillat Geshem and then I'll ask you my question. Maybe you're supposed to be asking me the questions, but. That's okay. We can mix it up. We can mix it up. So, well, do you want to say something about what Tefillat Geshem actually is? So it's a piyut, of course. It is an additional liturgical poem that is recited in some communities before the Musaf service on Shemini Atzeret, and as Aviva says, Shemini Atzeret Simchat Torah here. In some cases, it's recited as part of the reader's repetition within the reader's repetition of the Musaf. Either way, it is a prelude to the great announcement that we are now going to include in our liturgy, Mashiv HaRuch Marita Geshem. We're going to mention God's power to deliver rain. Even though we're not asking for rain yet, specifically, we're going to mention God's power of rain. And this was already something in the first mission of Tanit, the Tanaim debate when this should start, the beginning of Sukkot, the end of Sukkot. But asking for rain at the right time with the right intention has been a big deal to the Jewish people for a very long time. You invited this, and now I'm unfortunately taking full advantage. Some people say the water libation offering that was done in the temple during Sukkot was actually a prayer for rain. And just to add this one more tidbit before I take up all your time, it must have been striking that they used to take the water from the spring at the bottom of the hill. And they're doing so, as you said, it's the end of the summer. That spring must have been at its lowest point. So everyone's going to look at that spring and realize we really need rain. Yeah. Our life depends on rain. So there's so much connected to Sukkot with rain. I went on too long. Anyways, back to you. No, not at all. I mean, I would even argue that at least one of the reasons for the rather unclear mitzvah of taking lulav and etrog and hadasim and aravot, you know, putting together those four plants, right? Four species, we call them, and shaking them in all the different directions. I think that that has something to do with saying like, God is everywhere and we need rain everywhere. And uh, like, I think it has to do with our need for water as well. But what I wanted to like really raise about Tefillat Geshem, which according to what I understand, originally might have been a list of verses, just a list of psukim, kind of like the Musaf service on Rosh Hashanah, where there are lists of verses in the Malchiot, Zichronot, and Shofrot pieces that have to do with the topics at hand. So originally it was like psukim, a list of psukim, of verses about rain. But now this medieval liturgical piyut, it's a little bit different and it's a little bit unusual, I think, the way that we talk about rain, the way that we talk about water. And this is what I wanted to really raise with you today and ask your opinion of. In each of the stanzas of this piyut about Geshem, about rain, we bring up one of our forefathers, somebody in our communal past, in our historical memory. And we say things like, remember when there was somebody like Avraham who is compared to a tree who is planted on springs of water and you saved him from fire and from water. Think about Yitzchak and Yaakov and each of them and Moshe and, and their connections to rain, their connections to water. But it doesn't stop with their connections to good water. It talks about their connections to destructive water. Like I mentioned, you know, Avraham being saved from fire and from water, or Moshe being saved from drowning, or Moshe, who helped the Israelites get water in the desert, but then when he hit the rock, 
that was the thing that kept him from being able to go into the promised land. There's some positive associations with water and some negative associations with water. And you would think when we are praying to God to remember the good associations with water and that's why we need it, we wouldn't say the negative ones. It's really very interesting. What comes to mind to me is that maybe Geshem is more than water. It's water that comes at the right time and the right measure in a helpful way, that water can be destructive. The next Parsha up, we're going to read all about the destructive elements of water. So maybe it's connected that we want something in a particular way, want to be a rain of blessing. Right. Yesterday with my chavruta, it always works out perfectly that I learn the right thing with my chavruta at the right time. So I remember it and can talk about it. We were learning about Samuel and Saul. And in the second coronation of King Saul, Samuel is very hurt on his own behalf and on God's behalf that the Israelites wanted a king. And so at the coronation itself, he's like, listen, I'm just going to show you because you're so evil that you asked for a king. I'm going to show you what's going to happen to you if you keep behaving badly. At the coronation itself, he calls upon God to pour down rain. And the verse specifically says it is in the wheat season, which we understand to mean it's like May. And there isn't supposed to be rain at that time. Right, it can hurt the harvest. It will hurt the harvest. And they see this pouring down of rain and they freak out because they know that rain can be, in the same way that it can be so helpful, it can be so destructive. I mean, you were talking about the West Coast, right? Like there was a terrible drought and now there's no drought anymore, but there was also terrible flooding. It's just, there's so much that you have to just want something and pray for it, but not too much and not in the wrong way and not at the wrong time. That sounds like a tall order. So let me ask you this then, as a modern person who I'm assuming probably turns the faucet on and off dozens of times a day, and maybe you're not like me, but often not thinking about it, where the water comes from and how it arrives. What is your takeaway now that you are thinking about Geshem? Hmm. I have two takeaways. You can even have three. We're not in a big rush. Okay. Well, one of them is what you're saying, which is, you know, we have to just be aware that when you ask for something, don't ask for too much. Or when you ask for something, ask for it in the right way. Moderation. Moderation is a really important thing. Don't ask for too much. But on the other hand, my other takeaway, and I'm not sure which one is stronger, is we can do the best we can. And we can pray and be good people and really just like be connected to God. And yet, We really are not in control. We are not in control. That's what that's all about, right? For us to sit outside where it's not necessarily safe, you know, at least in the days of yore, and looking up at the sky and recognizing that we are in God's hands and what God does, God does, and we are going to try to be okay. But we we don't know what's going to be, and everything is short-lived. You know, it's interesting to me that might be why people struggle so much to think about it because when you think of rain, it's this very powerful example of human limitation, something that we can't give ourselves. You know, it's interesting in the Torah, there are three places described as a gun. There's Gan Eden, and then Egypt is described as a gun, and Stom Va'amorah, Stom and Gomorrah are described as a gun. And a gun is a place that doesn't need rain. And it occurs to me, based on what you're saying, that Needing rain is like essential to the development of the human personality, of recognizing our limits. But it's interesting how those two are linked. If you want to feel grateful, you first have to acknowledge you can't do everything for yourself, right? You first have to realize your own limits and then open yourself up to the need or dependency on something greater than you or other than you. And I think we have a resistance to that. Life is scary that way. 
right? I'd rather live in a world where I know where my water is coming from and I'm in charge of it. And here you're telling us that the Torah and the holiday is trying to educate us out of that mindset, go out into that sukkah, realize how frail your life really is, how dependent your life really is, and let that be a motivator to then try to do better and to connect to God. Right. That end piece is really, really important, you know, that it should be a motivator to do better and connect to God, because I think that people could take it the wrong way and say, oh, we can't do anything. We're, it's not up to us. It's not in our hands. And God could be whimsical and not in the good way, but can just decide in a hafachpach kind of way. You know, God could one day decide to do something in one way and then the next day. And that is a stance of anxiety that we have no control that Nahum Sarna, the 20th century scholar, says that's not what Judaism is. That's not what the Torah is. That's before. That's pre-monotheism. Monotheism says we're going to do away with that anxiety. You can behave really well and you can have this conversation and connection to God and that will affect you. So at the same time as our lives being frail and fragile and in God's hands, we do have the possibility of helping ourselves. Through emunah, right? Through a trust, through a faith, through this relationship where we will depend that uh, God will see to his part of the bargain if we see to our part, that the fear is replaced with a faith in this relationship in some way. It's faith and it's action. I think ethical monotheism is knowing that God wants tzedakah mishpat. God wants us to be righteous and charitable and just. And if we live a life of those things, then our lives will be good. So our control, so to speak, or our measure of control does not come with pulling a chain and getting water, but you're saying it comes from our decisions to behave ethically, lovingly, responsibly. That's the measure of control that we have over the blessings that we hope to receive. But always with a very strong dose of humility, because, you know, we do the best we can. We can't ever fully understand, even if we're behaving well. We can't game that system, even though we always want to. So I'd like you to leave us with a homework assignment. The next time it rains, what would you like us all to think about? Huh. Well, the next time it rains, at least here, will be probably the first time it rains, right? And I want you to stop and just think for a moment. That's what it is. It's about reflection. It's about stopping and saying, oh, my gosh, it's raining. Thank you, God. Thank you. Okay. More difficult than we would imagine, right? Most of us, that first drop of rain, we think, I got to get inside. Oh, no, I got to cover up my head. Uh, but I think the point is well taken. And, and this idea that we have to lean in to this sense of rain being a gift, which also includes leaning into our own sense of our limits, which also causes us to lean into our need to behave to the best of our ability in a moral, ethical, caring way, right? All of those things. Rain can be the most wonderful reminder for us about where we are in the world, who we are in the world, and what we uh, need to be. And I think that's a great challenge for us that you've given us and uh, very inspiring. So, Aviva, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to wish all of you, they say here, a good winter, right? A good wet winter, right? A chorif here that is filled with rain. 
and uh, hopefully your life in uh, the coming weeks will be filled with a good spiritual rain and you will feel nourished and supported and connected. So thank you for listening and we look forward to doing more podcasts and listening to them as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.